So <laughs> do I have to say right. it over? <laughs> no. I'll say it over again. Tonight's episode is going to be kind of a journey, so I think it's best to just kind of relax and settle into it. Welcome to Fool's Guide to the Occult. I'm Hector, and in case you didn't know, you can search for our, or I'm sorry, you can't search for our Patreon because it's listed as adult content. You actually have to type the link uh, patreon.com slash FG2, the number two, T-O, to uh, get there or find our link on Facebook or in the description of this episode. Just had to yeah. let, let you guys know that right up front here. It's an adult content. Oh, it's so exciting, right? Um, warning, warning, warning. <laughs> NSFW. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I am a banana. <laughs> Jeez, who wrote this? <laughs> uh, wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm Lexa. Um, okay, so we're here today to talk about magical thinking and to talk about using magical thinking as a tool to achieve your goals instead of getting pulled into irrationality by it. Yeah, and this can be a bit of a doozy. We've discussed various aspects of it uh, in almost really every episode since uh, season one, episode one. But Luxa and I felt like we should do um, sort of a dedicated episode on the topic and then um, we'll reiterate some points we've made over the past almost a year now, um, as well as, you know, going into more, some more detail about, uh, some various, uh, serious aspects of the art that, uh, we all wield or try to wield. Yeah, definitely. It seems like it'd be kind of messed up not to at least like touch on some of this stuff. Um, and it's an interesting topic too. A lot of broad ranging things involved here. So go ahead and buckle up because this one's going to get a little bit wild. Uh, but before we get into it, like, let's cover a little bit of journaling from last time. So um, what have you been up to, man? Yeah, yeah, shoot. Um, All right. Our last episode was about initiation. And I said I was working on initiation into my own path uh, that I wanted to share with you all. But unfortunately... That's going to have to wait. I, I haven't completed all the components and uh, solidified everything yet. It's kind of a, a huge and very serious undertaking and something that, you know, I don't want to rush. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there have been a, a lot of firsts for me recently. I feel like every first time with something is a bit of an in initiation. So uh, here's my list of things I've done for the first time in the past couple months. Okay. Um, I purchased a, a DAW, which is a digital audio um, works, workspace um, and a pretty nifty MIDI controller. So I'm starting to think about putting together some music in a more serious way. Um, I got commissioned to make a mushroom hunter's knife, which I didn't even know was a thing. And um, yeah, I'm making it as a friction folder, which is also something I've never done before. Um, I got my hair into a mohawk, which is surprising that that's a first for me at, you know, my age now, since I was a punkish goth kid or a gothish punk kid. I don't know. Um, since I was like 12 and I've had my hair like almost, no, literally every color except for white. And then like obviously metallic colors, but like who does that? Um, 
Uh, I made my own pair of shoes. Um, I'm also uh, one of many people helping to proofread a book for someone who's a pretty big deal to me. Someone who uh, whose work I first encountered when I was in high school. Um, and it totally blew my mind. And uh, yeah, I ended up meeting this person. And then I've I've had uh, the pleasure of learning and studying under them for several years now. Oh my God, is it Silver Raven Wolf? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, not even the same field. Um, but it's in the field of historical uh, European martial arts um, or Western martial arts, actually. Uh, but anyway, all these things are uh, meaningless to list if they don't mark a sort of significant change in mindset that comes along with initiation, right? So um, that's one of the most important aspects of that is that change in mindset uh, or the dedication of an individual to like a path, an idea, a set of beliefs or um, a change in community status, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if any of those things uh, changed my status in any way. Um, but they certainly have impacted uh, the way I interact with the world and the way I, I think about life as I pass through it and the way I think about uh, myself or interact with other people. Um, you know, even the Mohawk. But hey, Banana Luxo, would you like to do some journaling as well? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So as we mentioned kind of previously, like we're kind of we've been thinking like a lot about like codes of honor. We're actually like putting together a whole episode on it so that's something that i've been thinking about a lot um like just this kind of process of like really trying to like narrow that down for myself has been like a really good exercise um i always kind of like in the past like thought like oh whatever you know uh, i don't have to like worry about it i know what's wrong and right but actually like getting down to the nitty-gritty and like really enumerating it i think has been a really cool way to like uh, look at my own values and kind of uh, question them and interrogate them. And so, yeah, it's, it's been very cool. So that's been one thing. Yeah. I mean, thinking about like strategy and other stuff too. Other than that, like I've been making something which uh, it's sort of inspired by this project called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which was made by this person named uh, John Koenig. It's actually like a really cool thing. Y'all should check it out. Um, it basically like centers around this like attempt to fill in some of the gaps in our language by inventing like precise terms for emotions. Um, and the definitions for these incorporate the use of like this kind of like poetic language, which really kind of seems to give added cogency to the definitions. So I've been kind of like working off of that principle and creating like sigils that refer to like precise emotion emotions and like building out a system for using them in my own practice um so each sigil like you know has like a little stanza attached to it um describing what it means um so yeah i think that's been like kind of a helpful way to process and contextualize a lot of the craziness that's been happening for fuck this whole year basically for me i don't know for everybody probably um and yeah i don't know depending on how it goes uh i don't know i might decide to do something more with it but we will see so yeah totally that's awesome what about magical thinking i don't know uh uh man i don't know either uh luxa can you give us like a a quick 
definition of of what we mean when we're talking about magical thinking. I was hit in the head with a rock earlier and I I just totally forgot. I'm <laughs> blanking. Help me out. All right. Okay, so we have to start somewhere. So let's get a really basic idea of this. Uh, Encyclopedia Britannica defines magical thinking as the belief that one's ideas, thoughts, actions, words, or use of symbols can influence the course of events in the material world. Magical thinking presumes a causal link between one's inner personal experience and the external physical world. Well, that's pretty broad, actually. Yeah, there are also some, like, semantic issues with the definition, too, I guess. <laughs> but I'm not going to get into it. Anyway, uh, when we talk about magical thinking or thinking magically, we can be referencing a lot of different things. Sure, and we probably shouldn't take the Encyclopedia Britannica's word on anything to do with the occult. Probably not. But it's a good place to start. I feel like there are a few different ways we can look at this. Um, the obvious is to the the trance-like state we call gnosis, in which uh, chaos magicians do their magical work from. Um, some magicians use the word gnosis in a, a multifaceted way, in which it refers to the magical state of consciousness, but also a path to liberation from reincarnation. Uh, sort of like the idea of fulfilling one's uh, karmic duty leads to moksha in Hinduism. Peter J. Carroll points out in Libra Null, uh, this state of mind is fundamental to the practice of magic. Internal dialogue and desires must be ceased in order to stop the ego from interfering with the will of the magician. But Gnosis certainly isn't the only form of magical thinking. It's probably just one of the deeper ones. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... There's countless examples and like many flavors of this. So we're hoping to tackle both the positive and negative aspects of magical thinking and give you all some kind of fun ideas to play around with. Um, I know that this is something that has come up before, obviously, since it's such an important aspect of occultism or whatever you prefer to call your practice. Yeah. And in the very first episode of Fool's Guide to the Occult, we... Um... Kevin, Tyler, and I discussed uh, sympathetic magic as well as the laws of similarity and contagion. Um, they're particularly relevant to what we're talking about today. So just as a reminder, the idea of sympathetic magic is um, taking two separate concepts and linking them together in a practitioner's mind using some kind of commonality as a sort of metaphysical link. These commonalities can be almost anything, uh, shape, size, color, name, um, you know, whatever binds the two things together in a way that's useful. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so the law of similarity states that if two things are alike, they're basically the same thing. Or you can think of them as being the same thing. Um, this is how you can use a photograph of someone or carving or an effigy of something or, or something uh, as a way of creating a mental link between them. Another way to think about sympathy, though, could be like utilizing something that you already associate as being linked, like cutting a piece of string in two and visualizing the connection that the two pieces share since they were once part of the same thing. Um, <laughs> so this reminds me of a really excellent fantasy series called The King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss. Um, it's really beautifully written and the magic system in it is very cogent. It's very cool. He explains the idea of sympathy really well in it, I feel like. There's this concept of alar, which is kind of like attention and will combined. 
It's this focus which gives practitioners in the story the ability to focus on a sympathetic link between two things. And once that link is established, whatever happens to one thing happens to the other. So it's a pretty cool series, in my opinion. I would warn you that there's only two books out so far, and it's been like forever since he released one. So if that's going to be a problem for you, I would wait, I guess. Um, but anyway, Hector, uh, didn't you guys mention something in the last season about like a magical ritual involving like a clay effigy of some kind of like wild game and attacking it? I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a bison, if I recall. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but that comes from uh, Bookland's complete book. Uh, sorry, Buckland's complete book of witchcraft. Earlier on in the book, he's like discussing some history and archaeology and stuff related to magic in Europe. And uh, the general idea is if a practitioner killed uh, a clay buffalo in a hunting ritual, an actual hunt would be more successful, you know, obviously, as long as the god that they're aligned with or, you know, hunting god or whatever is sympathetic to their cause. Continuing down uh, and discussing the law of contagion now, um, that law indicates that uh, two things that were once in contact continue to be linked after the connection is severed so this again is like that whole deal with uh you know collecting someone's hair or nails um or whatever in order to to use them uh as like a magical link like if you were creating um like a wax doll or um uh some kind of poppet or something like that Mm -hmm. you can act on someone non-locally by working on that thing yeah definitely yeah this like idea of contagion sort of reminds me of the concept behind like forensic science and crime scene investigation that like every contact leaves some kind of trace yeah and uh some magicians will take that a step further and uh connect it to what einstein dubbed spooky action at a distance which ultimately led to to what we call uh quantum entanglement um but you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm no physicist, so I'm fascinated by these things, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that concept alone. <laughs> um, let's, let's take a look at magical thinking from a few different perspectives, shall we? Yeah, no, definitely. And it is, it really is fascinating stuff. Okay. So magical thinking, it's a pretty big topic because as you said, it can be like contextualized in lots of different ways. And depending on who you ask and what effect its use has, magical thinking, in the broad sense, can either be a really good thing or potentially a very dangerous thing. Maybe we should start out by talking a little bit more about how it's defined and mentioning a few of the potential pitfalls. As you all may know, humans are very good at recognizing patterns and even imagining patterns where there might not be any. So this gives us the ability to do lots of cool stuff, including magical thinking. Uh, so let's go ahead and build on that like earlier definition that we talked about. Yeah, so um, there's definition within psychology uh, that magical thinking encompasses seven basic principles. Um, so we're going to start off by just listing those, and then we'll go into a little more detail um, a little later on in the show. Um, but just to get us started here, the seven magical prin- our seven principles of magical thinking are anything can be sacred, or how I like to think of it, everything is sacred. Um, similarly, anything can be cursed, or how I like to think of it, everything is cursed. Why not? Mind over matter. Uh, rituals bring good luck. Names have power. That's why I don't have a name. What goes around <laughs> comes around. 
the world is alive. I really can't wait to talk about this one in a little bit. <laughs> okay, so other forms of magical thinking are things like superstition, um, the placebo effect, noticing coincidences or synchronicities, using lucky numbers, etc. Uh, you all may be thinking at this point, like, yeah, Alexa, no shit. I'm familiar with magical thinking. I get it. I use that stuff all the time. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. So do we. So what's the problem, right? Right. Um, remember when we warned you that one of the possible side effects of messing around with the occult is madness. Um, if you don't remember that, consider this your re-warning. Yes, indeed. Um, so here's the, the facts. Um, a lot of what we do in an occult practice um, has the potential to be sort of like intentionally destabilizing you know you're if you're changing stuff about yourself like even if it's totally for the better it can really knock you a little bit off kilter for a while so as we've said before and we'll probably reiterate i mean it's crucial to you know pace yourself practice self-care keep an eye on yourself have somebody that you trust do the same so many traditions insist that like a student needs to have a teacher to quote unquote safely walk the path I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, maybe it could be true, but I don't know. I'm like, is there even really, like, truly a safe path? Most people don't have a teacher or whatever anyway, right? Like, it's... So, I mean, not to mention that there's, like, a huge potential for, like, exploitation that can come along with these, like, types of relationships, you know? Like, you know, y- y'all have talked about, like, gurus in the past and stuff, and maybe, maybe we should just, like, reiterate that real quick, like... Yeah, and also... Before we do that, I just want to come back to something that we quoted Buckland from uh, in the previous episode. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, again, I'm not looking at it, so I, I can't say it exactly. But he was talking about um, initiation. He was saying, well, how did the first witches get initiated? Right. So, like, you know, how did the first magic people start doing magic? Right. They obviously had to walk the path alone to figure it out. So, mm-hmm. you know, we'll just give you some ideas on how to do that safely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've said this before. If you if you meet the Buddha on the road to enlightenment, kill him. Right, anyway, indeed. <laughs> when we look at the biographies of famous magicians throughout history, the theme of madness definitely comes up. So, in the context of an occult practice, uh, the way that psychological problems, so- like you know, just looking at it in a historical way. Often, the thing that often seems to happen is that people start to have an increase in magical thinking to the extent that they have, like, a hard time kind of functioning in their daily lives. Um, so, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a few, like, psychological disorders out there, like, you know, like schizophrenia or, like, obsessive compulsive disorder or other things, like, whose symptoms include out-of-control magical thinking. But there's, like, all this other stuff, too. And you know what? We are not mental health care professionals so we can't really speak about any of that stuff like as always if you feel like it would be a good idea to talk to somebody like a mental health care professional you should definitely do that like absolutely no harm in that so now that that's out of the way um (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely um we're gonna be talking about some of this stuff mostly from the perspective of our own occult practice um we would love to hear how you all use magical thinking and how um you all maybe manage uh some of the dangers if some of you out there are doing some of the more 
deeper, heady, ego magic, shadow work kind of stuff. We would love to hear your thoughts on this topic, so please drop us a line at foolsguide the number two the occult at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. All right, awesome, yeah. Okay, so in some ways, magical thinking is all about balance. Having no magical thinking in your life can be just as detrimental as having too much. So I found this pretty interesting article in Psychology Today about this topic uh, written by Matthew Hudson. So in this article, Hudson points out that some data suggests that there's like a strong correlation between the lack of magical ideation and anhedonia, the inability to experience pleasure. It's thought that the ability to think magically is tied to the neurotransmitter dopamine. Yeah, so that's really interesting. In one experiment, a group of paranormal believers who also had high dopamine levels um, were more prone than non-believers to spot uh, non-existent faces when looking at a bunch of jumbled images and also were less likely to miss the face when there really was one there. Everyone spotted more faces when they were given like dopamine boosting drugs, which I, I guess is dopamine. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> the researchers <laughs> pointed out that uh, the ability to see patterns and make free associations enhanced creativity and also serves a practical survival function. Like if you're out in the grasslands, um, it's better to assume that that thing you saw in the weeds is a tiger um, and that it's actually there than to be like, no, nah, I didn't see anything. <laughs> okay, yeah, definitely. And so there's also some people who think that using magical thinking might help us adapt more quickly to new technologies. So as Arthur C. Clarke once said... Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I mean, in a lot of ways, the digital world behaves much more magically, Hudson points out, than computer viruses act more like a curse than like a biological pathogen, seemingly like taking over and making like it seem like your computer is possessed or whatever. I don't know. He points out that like there's also some examples where magical thinking is actually borne out in truth, like this idea of like action at a distance, like think about a remote control or the force of gravity. Uh, many people feel that magic is simply a science whose fundamental laws are yet to be discovered, too. So that's another perspective. Oh, can I interject for a moment? Please do. Um, like going off the Arthur C. Clarke thing. That's totally like, all right, so I just finished watching both seasons of American Gods and like the new gods are totally exactly that, right? They're like media and social media and technology and- Spoilers, Hector, spoilers. <laughs> no, that's not a spoiler, hardly. But yeah, it's like completely like interwoven together, you know, like technology and magic in that sense. And uh, no, for sure. yeah, I think we've talked about this like with- sci-fi in the past like how sci-fi became like like fiction became technology and and magic in a lot of ways is the same definitely i could go on and on about this but we have to stick to the topic or we'll be here all night Sorry, I don't like rules. <laughs> okay so okay guys everybody whatever magic is nobody really knows uh doesn't matter uh, nine out of ten witches and psychologists agree that life would kind of suck without it. <laughs>
Okay, so let's really get like into the seven principles of magical thinking. All right, but I want you to tell me where you got that statistic from later. Um, <laughs> first principle. <laughs> uh, so the first principle we talked about was uh, anything can be sacred. This is, you know, the law of contagion. Um, who owned it makes it valuable. Uh, you know, instinctive understanding of, uh, I don't know, germs or what items have we made sacred or consecrated, things like that. Um or even, you know, this, this idea of sacred relics, um, the remains of, of monks and saints are said to have magical or holy powers. Personally, I like to operate from the position of like everything is sacred, you know, even things that may be cursed, like a cursed item can also be a sacred item in a way, yeah, if you think about it. Yeah. Okay. So that leads nicely into item number two. I mean, anything can be cursed. Um, would anybody like to have a Corona beer? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. Another example of this is like, all right. So the, the Spandau prison where they like kept the last of the Nazis until they died. After that happened, they like tore the place down and they like straight up like dumped everything into the ocean. Like they didn't want any trace of it to remain i mean i guess depending on your perspective those like relics could be cursed or holy i mean I'm, either way they didn't want it to be a thing so totally we should do that with the white house after there's a new president like every new president gets to demolish the old white house and build a new one <laughs> hot takes um i mean also <laughs> like <laughs> houses where like gruesome murders have taken place you know the buyer is required to be notified of that so that's um, another, I, I think another example of magical thinking, right? Like, although yeah, you know, totally, you could make the argument that it could be like a crime correlation thing too. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to meditate on that one. Totally. Um, I'm pretty sure that like the Beatles bought uh the house that Aleister Crowley like tried to summon demons in. It was Led Zeppelin. Oh, was it Led Zeppelin? Thank you for <laughs> having. Page, uh... yeah. Oh, okay. Was it? <laughs> All right. Anyway, <laughs> just on that topic. Anyway, uh, so uh, last year, a friend of mine uh, took a trip to New Orleans, and uh, the last time I saw them before they went, I asked them to, to bring me back some, and they asked what I wanted, and I just, I said, surprise me, because I had no idea. I was like, I don't know, find something cool, bring it back. I trust your judgment, you know? Um, so the next time I see them, they hand me uh, one of those zipper bags um, with some stones and little plants you know, the kind you might see like growing out of like the cracks in the sidewalk or, you know, on the side of a brick building or something like that. And so I was like, uh, okay, so what is this? Um, and they proceed to tell me this story about how they hid in the cemetery at night and snuck around um, like guards and blocked off sections of the cemetery uh, to get to Marie Laveau's tomb and brought me back a piece of, well, several pieces of the tomb. Uh, sacred or cursed? I don't know. Uh, probably both. I've taken great care of it and treated it as if it's sacred. I put it in a glass jar and it's sealed and sits on my shelf. Um, you know, I I could see her spirit being particularly pissed that a, a couple white people uh, took a piece of her resting place, but it can't be as bad as the misfits trying to exhume her corpse back in the 70s. So I don't know. I just keep it on the shelf like, yeah, that's... Uh, that's pretty awesome. 
Hope you're not mad. Yeah, man, that's pretty crazy. It's a crazy story. I actually hadn't heard that about the Misfits before. Um, as a side note, talk about a fucking genuine badass. If y'all aren't like familiar, definitely look up her life and her deeds because uh, you know what, man? Maybe at some point a pilgrimage could be made to return what was taken to where where it laid before. That might be a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah, I could do that. Um, You should come too. I hear New Orleans food is just kick-ass. I'm into it. All right. So, you know, just in short, she was a practitioner of voodoo, an herbalist, a healer. Um, You know, many refer to her as uh, the queen of voodoo. Uh, voodoo hoodoo root work conjure are all like really cool topics that i hope we can talk about someday um i i want to avoid uh appropriation at all costs though so you know something something that makes me a little uneasy about having uh this piece of her tomb in the first place is you know mm-hmm. what why why do i have it um so uh you know I want to do an episode on on this kind of stuff on voodoo and stuff at some point, but uh, we got to find a practitioner, um, preferably with a family lineage um, in the art uh, to make friends with and talk to on the show. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I'm really excited about that. I really want to learn more about that stuff and I would love to have somebody that can actually speak from a position of, you know, authority. Uh, So that would be very cool. If you're out there hearing this, please reach out to us because we would love to hear what you have to say. Um, Yeah, yeah, I think it is. It's super important to be respectful of like, you know, how the things you're learning about relate to you. You know, like it's all complex, right? Because over the history, there's been so much like crossover and synchronization between like different traditions. I mean, not to mention that like here in the West, at least like Christianity has basically had its hand on like almost all of them so like but finding out about stuff like from your own culture can be like a pretty awesome way of like contextualizing your own practice um on the other hand you know the more that we can learn about other traditions too the better like actually in general the more that we can (laughs) learn the better right (laughs) yeah about different traditions different cultures different everything whatever in general (laughs) everything different everything yeah diversity is the spice of life you know, and the rabbit hole goes deeper and deeper. You know, I think we could do a whole episode on appropriation in the context of the occult because it's a pretty big deal. But, you know, it's probably better that we just sprinkle it in here and there as it comes up. I know. I think that's probably like a good way to do it because it's something that, you know, we probably be helpful to kind of remind ourselves about regularly. Um, okay. So what's the next of the seven principles of magical thinking, though? Ah, yes. Mind over matter. Um, I actually want to quote Saul Williams um, here from his song, The Tao of Now, off Amethyst Rockstar. He says, mind over matter, minds create matter, matter creates fiction. As a matter of fact, as if matter were fact, matter is fiction. Or I'm sorry, matter is fact, so spirit must be fiction, science fiction, art fiction, metafiction. Not that I think spirit is fiction, nor do I think, you know, this is Williams' point in the in the song altogether. Rather, I think it's uh, important to consider that the mind is at the center of all human creation. Minds create matter. Minds create fiction. What fiction do we live? And if we live it, how do we define fiction? There are a lot of interesting parallels between 
you know, science fiction and technological development. I think I mentioned that earlier. Um, in a lot of ways, fiction has become reality of our future. There's probably some magic in that. Yeah, I think there definitely is, dude. Hector, I mean, we were just talking about this shit the other day, right? Like, I feel like, okay, so maybe it would be nice to have some templates to explore of like a more positive vision for the future. I know that other people have been talking about this and I'm glad to hear it and I want to reiterate it too. Uh, so like, again, one of my eccentric conclusions, this actually might not be that eccentric. I think it might actually play out pretty well, but uh, everything does start in the imagination, right? You know, science fiction predicts future science technology um, so, like, maybe it even starts deeper than that. But, like, when it arrives in the imagination, like, or maybe, like, so Kant would have us say, like, you know, uh, if you want to hear more about that, check out our our coverage of quantum psychology by Robert Anton Wilson and our Patreon. But, like, this idea of, like, if we can imagine something better and put it up there as a template to kind of work towards, that would be better than all of this like really fun great dark sci-fi that everybody loves but like road warrior blade runner yeah are, are so many other great things right like but i'm sorry like okay so uh, if you're like yeah. riding a bicycle if you're constantly like staring at all the trees on the side of the path like you're gonna like run into one right like uh, it'd be, maybe it'd be nice to have like a one that shows a good path that we could go on instead of all this terrible, terrible shit we're imagining. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> so we need the fluffy bunny of sci-fi. Fluffy bunny sci-fi. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, you know, anyway, if you want to hear us talk about uh, that book, Quantum Psych, that Luxa mentioned a little while ago, you can check that out on our Patreon uh, at patreon.com forward slash FG number two T-O. But anywho... Um, we could talk a little bit more about mind over matter um, in sort of some like psychology relating to sports. Studies have shown that um, injured players who are unable to return to practice for a period of time can get the same effect in terms of like muscle memory and, and mental training through mentally rehearsing routines um, that they would normally do physically. Um, I know I do this a lot with like sword fighting. Uh, it works really well for me. I like to mentally kind of go over fights that I've been in, uh, especially ones where I screwed up and just kind of like work around that. And it seems like um, it, it translates to, to results when I actually go to do it later. In fact, this is kind of how I do magic as well. Uh, and it seems to work. Um, so, you know, kind of mull that over. It's really no different than using, uh, meditation and entering your astral temple, which, you know, we'll be talking about in, uh, an episode sometime soon this season, I hope, and other kinds of astral work. Uh, you can do ritual magic from this kind of space as well. Um, but you're going to need some degree of sort of proficiency in meditation, um, possibly the empty handed gesture as well in order to do this, though, I suppose you could conjure implements in mental space and work with them that way um if you're more comfortable doing so I, that's something you could play with off the cuff yeah no definitely um sticking to the idea of like sports psychology i mean the fourth thing you know rituals for good luck i mean think of all these you know kind of anecdotes you hear about like famous athletes about like oh i'm not gonna like shave my beard until my team finishes the series or like I don't change my socks or whatever it is like, you know, there's 
all these kind of like little good luck rituals that are employed. Right. And like fans will bring like lucky jerseys or lucky hats or stuff like that when they're trying to like get their team to win or whatever. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I mean, I I know you lived in Chicago for a while, right? Like there was this idea of like the hundred year curse on the Cubs, right? Like they kicked a dude out that had a goat and he is like, oh, I can't have my goat in the stands of this baseball stadium. Fuck you guys. A fox upon your team. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, they even brought him back to lift the curse, but it took a little while. It, it has since been lifted. Everybody will be relieved to know. Maybe it was the, the goat that put the curse, not the guy, you know? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> no. Don't talk to those goats, man. They've got sideways eyes. <laughs> All right. What are some other? What What's the fifth principle here? Oh, uh, names have power. Sigils, um, and the Goetia, your your magical name, uh, you know, stuff like that. Especially if you you decide to call yourself something like Golden Pigeon Bunny, and then feed off the energy of all the haters. Uh, <laughs> You know, there's there's this episode uh, of uh, what we do in the shadows where Colin Robinson becomes a troll and feeds off all the negative energy of people until, uh, you know, he actually frustrates a real troll. Um, you know, anyway, moving on. <laughs> it's a fun show. I love it. Okay, so number six, what goes around comes around. So actions have consequences, even though you might not observe those consequences. We like to believe that they are there. Um, Maybe there's some basis for this, like, in society, though, right? Like, with regards to, like, reputation. You know, if you're, like, a dick, everybody's going to catch on. Mm-hmm. Uh, this also reminds me of, like, you know, the, like, the idea in, like, Wicked, like, the rule of three, right? Like, what you put out there is going to come back at you three times. Yep. So yeah, there's like this kind of like, you know, the basis of like the whole like golden rule thing. You know, like kids are taught in school, like, you know, at least in the United States, like, you know, treat people how you want to be treated because what you put out there is going to come back at you. So that kind of encapsulates that that, uh, idea. Yeah, totally. So number seven is the world is alive. Kind of like animism plus. You know, I'd like to take that a step further and say like the whole universe is alive or even existence or reality is alive because maybe there's multiple universes um you know i used to do this trippy thought experiment that i would bring up around people that were really stoned or tripping like back in the day in college and the basic idea was that you know we've all these cells in our body that work together to to make up these organs which together make up our body but you know what if there's a like a greater structure right we're just we the people are just like cells in the organ that is our galaxy and and maybe our entire universe is a single neuron in the brain of some massive creature outside our concept of like the known universe and maybe that creature is just a cell uh filling a similar function as as the one we're filling it's kind of like that um that little marble around the neck of the cat in that first men in black film it's the the entire universe inside of a marble inside of a universe but when the movie's over it pans like all the way out and the universe our universe is just like a marble among many being kicked around by these uh these other beings (laughs) (laughs) that make any goddamn sense at all (laughs) i think i got it (laughs) i mean and also like why wouldn't that be the case at the same time i mean i don't know like 
uh, as of up so below. So I don't know. Follow that through, I guess, if that's what you're into. Yeah, totally. I guess long story short, like treat everything with respect. Yeah, sure. That seems like a good rule of thumb. Chirpy stuff. Ultimately, you know, we can't know anything for sure. And I think uh, there's great power and comfort in accepting that while at the same time striving to know as much as we can. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. All right. So some other topics related to the use of magical thinking that come up a lot in occultism are things like divination, gematria, numerology, synchronicities. I'm pretty sure that we don't really need to go too far into divination here since it's kind of come up all the time. Uh, But if you like a refresher, check out earlier episodes titled Otherworldly Assistance. I think we could definitely put astrology in this category as well. Yeah, in the past, I've sort of poo-pooed some of these topics like numerology and astrology. And I want to say that... While they're not personally my jam, they can be useful, even for people who don't necessarily believe in them. Um, You can use them to create links between concepts or objects or rituals and so forth. So I, you know, I guess uh, I apologize for railing on some of those things um, at various points in the past. Um, And also, uh, I, you know, it's, it's kind of like Kevin's crystals are good for blank idea. If you, if you can use something like numerology to strengthen a connection in a ritual, um, you know, real or fiction, uh, you can make fiction into reality and make some magic happen. Open wide those doors of perception and see what you can put together. <laughs> yes, yeah, very nicely put. Okay, uh, you might be asking yourself, uh, what is gematria? I will tell you now. I uh, am, actually. <laughs> Gematria is basically like using a cipher to correlate words with numbers. Um, It's commonly done in the context of the study of texts from the Abrahamic religions, but it can come up in a lot of other practices too. Um, Okay, so in the Chicken Kabbalah by Lon Milo Duquette, he describes Gematria as, quote, the process by which each word or series of words is converted to its numerical equivalent. Words yielding the same value are connected by their common numerical vibration and, on one plane or another, are descriptive of each other. These correspondences are seldom obvious, and it is to the student's quest to meditate upon the words and numbers until he or she achieves the level of consciousness in which the illusory contradictions are resolved. Okay, so an example of this is how the number 93 is important in Thelema. Um, So it has like gematrial associations with both love and will. So those are pretty like central themes. So yes, 93, important number. Um, I've actually heard people say that gematria is literally designed to drive people crazy. So do you want to give it a try? Fuck it. Let's dabble a bit. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Um, So I used a site called gematrix.org to calculate this. In English gematria, the value for the word banana is 204. Um, Other words or phrases with this value include be best cosmic egg Hmm. database (laughs) disease 
checkers, rookie, Omega Ram, and a bunch of other ones. Uh, there were quite a All few right. in that database. <laughs> so everybody think really hard about these associations and let us know if you rise at any like revelations or eccentric conclusions. Uh, the fact that the phrase cosmic egg was in there is sort of perfect, actually. I'm going to count it as a synchronicity. Yeah, indeed. So what about numerology, though? Um, right. So numerology is sort of related uh, to that um, in that it sometimes involves the use of alphanumeric codes. Actually, it pretty much always does. Um, there are several different styles of uh, using numerology, but the basic idea is that you would obtain a, a numerical value for something like your name or your birth date, um, and then you add all the numbers together until you get a single digit integer. So like zero, one, three, seven, whatever. In many instances, you only uh, use the numbers one through nine, but that's not always the case. Like I just said, sometimes zero is a thing. Um, and sometimes it goes higher. Uh, the values that you obtain are uh, then used to make predictions and associations. Each number is considered to have its own specific characteristics. Um, and then numerology can be used uh, in a, a similar way as uh, natal astrology which uses the, the times and locations of a person's birth to make predictions about personality traits and other things. Okay, so using the standard uh, name numerology for our names, like, you know, basically like A equals 1, B equals 2, etc., up to the number 9, so, you know, J is going to equal 1, um, I went ahead and calculated the values for Hector and Luxa. So Hector equals six and Luxa equals four. And according to this book that I have called The P Complete Book of Numerology, Discovering the Inner Self by David A. Phillips, PhD. He is actually a PhD of nutrition, but he has written this book about numerology. So that is cool. Um, let me read about what that might mean, like the soul urge of these names that we have. Cool. I'm excited. Okay. So I'll, st All right, I'll start with six. That's yours. Okay. Soul urge six. Love and creativity are the operative words here. Every opportunity to express themselves creatively should be taken, whether at work, with a hobby, or in the home. Their strength will decline into despair and torment if they lapse into over-anxiety. So watch out for that man everything in there is true <laughs> <laughs> all right so my soul urge number is four okay when the practical four is expressed at the soul level it indicates that the individual has very orderly conservative opinions on a wide range of spiritual and emotional subjects embracing religion love marriage and life in general they're usually quite orthodox in outlook and not given to emotional outbursts. Hmm. <laughs> Everybody knows I'm super fucking chill all the goddamn time and I'm never prone to emotional outbursts. Just like that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like leaping through this and a lot of these things are pretty general. Like It's like, oh, you like peace and tranquility. It's like, yeah. So that's fucking everybody. Fuck people. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> right. No, uh, 
Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about uh, like astrology too. You know, like you're like the zodiac things all seem very like that to me too. Like easily transferable to anyone. You know, definitely. You know, uh, my mind is still open though. All right, so we're going to go ahead and share some of the dangers and risks associated with magical thinking, as well as share some of our own personal tech on this topic after we take a short interlude. Uh, So we have been doing tarot in the past, but today we're going to be pulling a rune at Rundum, which is (laughs) something that Hector (laughs) came up with, which is very fun. (laughs) Yeah, we are. Here we go. I'm just going to dive in here and find a good one. <laughs> All right. Hey, it looks like um, we got Ur, which is um, also known as Wild Ox, and it's associated with uh, the primal energies of creativity and uh, fertility available to the person who's wearing it or wielding it or what have you. So... Um, you know, we'll have to think about how that relates to our episode. And and you can meditate on that as well at home. Awesome. All right, cool. Oh, by the way, if it looks like an N. I, I feel like I should mention what specifically it looks like. It looks yeah. sort of like a lowercase N. Yeah. <laughs> or an upside down U, if you will. Yeah. But on with the show. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> Thank you. Um, So what are some of the benefits and risks of magical thinking? <sighs> You want to do risks first, and then yeah, let's you know, go, whatever. Yeah, let's All go right. into like some of the potential dangers first. All right. So, dangers of magical thinking, like thinking your crystals can cure cancer. Hmm. You know, there are some things that magic just can't help you with. It can't change the physiological structure of your body. It can't give you new skin or change the color of your eyes or make various parts of your body grow larger or smaller or make you taller or whatever that's not an avenue of change that is available yeah no yeah uh so magic can help bring certain energy into your life which can assist in like the healing process right it can't cure your cancer immune deficiency disorders it can't grow back missing limbs cure paralysis etc Um, We've heard a lot about how important, like, positive attitudes can be when it comes to the healing process, though. So this is definitely something that magic could be useful for and should be. Yeah, definitely. And in short, you know, it can only assist you with things where there's an alley or a door open um, to the result you desire. You know, the magic helps things along, but it, it can't do all the work, right? There needs to be a pathway for that. Yeah, exactly. There needs to be an available pathway for the magic to work. And that that comes to, I mean, any kind of working, not just healing. So Yeah, exactly. So in season one, episode two, uh, which was titled Digging In, Kevin, uh, Tyler, and I discussed a number of potential dangers of magical thinking and magical work in general. As season one was mostly... um, I guess I would say magic and occult for beginners um, Our chapter one introduction, perhaps um, much of that was sort of advanced warning for some of the other things that, you know, like Luxia, Luxia and I have started talking about like ego magic and shadow work and stuff like that. And uh, since we intend on sharing with you our 
understanding of some very intense types of work uh, that can have disastrous outcomes if you're not too careful. I think we should go um, back and sort of just remind everyone of some of those dangers. Uh, so we're going to do that now. Manly P. Hall in his book, Words to the Wise, mentions hallucinations of various types are an eventual result of dedicated work into the occult arts. Yeah, definitely. And I had always read that in the past, and I had always like kind of scoffed at it a little bit, but I can attest to its veracity. Also, like if you're trying to do scrying, like you're going to see things like... That's just a very like straight and forward. Oh point, yeah, too. definitely. Yeah, I mean, when you go looking for something, you're probably gonna find it eventually. <laughs> so that just makes right? sense. What's that phrase about the abyss? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our friend Phil Hine in his book Condensed Chaos uh, does a great job of outlining some of other dangers. Uh, so let's kind of like think a bit about that as like a good jumping forward point here. So the first thing to like look out for um, is isolation, which High notes precedes madness. Yeah, if you don't have any friends that are into this stuff, uh, make some before going too much deeper. You know, even if it's just online, uh, this is not a journey you can or should go on alone. Yeah, I mean, yeah, preferably not. Better to have some support. Um, and if none of your friends are like, you know, into this stuff, maybe there's not cool like you are or whatever um, you can uh check out you know our online community maybe that'll be a good resource i don't know definitely check it out uh talk to us on fool's guide community page um fellow travelers on facebook or whatever uh we'd love to hear what you're up to but yeah yeah that, and there's like lots of really cool supportive and nice people there um you know we're not all business all the time but then again why would we want to be why would we want to be? <laughs> uh, second, okay, so is something that Hein calls uh, magic-itis, which I've heard other people talk about as well. Um, it's basically like the magician's version of like severe narcissism. Like it has some overlap too with isolation because it involves like a total lack of perspective. Yeah, I'm going to bring that phrase back up again. If you meet the Buddha on the road to enlightenment, kill him. I mean, this means if you think you got it, you don't. You should never stop growing and also never assume you've reached like guru or enlightened status. You're not the shit. Yeah, no, nobody is, right? Uh, uh, so yeah, if you meet somebody who wants to be your guru or teacher or whatever, uh, watch out, I guess. Uh, they might be full of themselves at the very least and maybe like a dangerous manipulator at the worst. I don't know. Uh obviously we're not blind to the irony that we're saying this on our occult podcast um obviously this includes us definitely take everything that we say with skepticism as well as everything else that you learn and uh remember i guess we told you not to trust us we're also telling you to trust yourself so you should definitely rely on your own ingenuity when it comes to most things or many things, or all things, you know. Speaking of which, join our cult. <laughs> yes, you could also do that. Join our cult. <laughs> um, the third thing that Hyde warns us about is obsession, which I think kind of goes without saying, I don't know, personally. Anytime, like, 
somebody gets seriously obsessed with anything, it can have like disastrous effects for themselves or others. I mean, I'm not going to lie. This is definitely one thing that's been a bit of an issue for me as long as I can remember. Um, In some ways, it's led to a lot of my success because it makes me like very attentive. But it's definitely a double-edged sword. Uh, It's a thing I really definitely keep a close eye on with journaling and other techniques. It's also helpful to try not to take shit too seriously. Yeah, uh, I mentioned this the first time around with these dangers, and since season two is coming out soon and I'm pretty excited about it, I should just bring it back up. Actually, by the time this episode airs, I've probably binge-watched the entire second season. (laughs) Oh, God, my life. Um, (laughs) But, all right, so hopefully relating things to pop pop culture uh, will kind of be helpful here. Um, Anyway, so this reminds me of the scene in Umbrella Academy uh, when number seven is talking to the first chair violinist uh, in the restroom, and she gets this whole speech on uh, doing something you're passionate about. And it's true, like every skill takes work and practice. But if you don't have that true spark of passion, that fire that just burns you to express yourself in that way or follow that art through to as far as you can take it, you aren't really ever going to go beyond being good and enter the realm of being great. But you just also have to be careful not to like let the thing you have a passion for become you, right? Yeah, dude, definitely. Like all these uh, these topics of like passion and obsession and all this shit, like it's kind of a fine line to walk, right? Um, there's kind of a trope of people being made uh, to do lots of simple physical labor when they're like undergoing spiritual training. Stuff like maybe like sweeping the steps of a temple or something like that. I'm kind of starting to suspect that the reason for this is that like doing that kind of, you know, simple manual labor can be like really grounding. Um, A simple activity that gives you a break from what you're passionately working on can really help to maintain balance. It reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. Uh, anonymously attributed obviously but uh before enlightenment chop wood and carry water after enlightenment chop wood and carry water uh there seems to be some different opinions about like you know this saying but i think that basically it's still pretty useful like there's a lot of meanings to meditate on there but the journey is the destination right (laughs) yeah totally uh, speaking of meditation, I feel like those tasks that you were talking about, like sweeping the temple steps and stuff is also, those are meditative tasks, right? You kind of zone out while you're doing them, mm-hmm. which, um, probably serves like a dual function of like, you know, getting into like a meditative state where things just kind of click together, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. All right. So the fourth thing that Hein mentions is what he calls cosmic tragedy. Um, in this case, the oh. practitioner <laughs> becomes someone of universal significance and everything that happens to them has great meaning and no one could possibly understand. Um, So I feel like this is kind of related to isolation too, because it also involves a kind of like lack of perspective. So rather than taking things into context of like the greater whole, 
of what's going on, you're like allowing yourself to kind of like think that everything's all about you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I'll reiterate something I, I said in the past about this. Um, you know, see that emo versus goth kid episode of South Park. It's uh, <laughs> season 17, episode four. Um, if you want to pause this, pull up Hulu or whatever and watch that for 30 minutes. <laughs> or just, you know, remember back to high school if you need to. Not everything that happens is important, significant, or intentional. In my opinion, life has almost no greater meaning than just to continue. So um, you're not the Messiah or anything like that. Just get over yourself. Sometimes random shit is random shit. Um, sometimes you can avoid it and sometimes you will fall right on top of it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Actually, you know, the idea of randomness is pretty beautiful when you really think about it. Um, if there's some grand plan, what chance do we have of actually like manifesting anything? If it's only like out of the chaos of potential that new things emerge, then that's what we should embrace. If you choose to ascribe meaning to the random shit that happens to you, I mean, that's cool. More power to you. It's just good to remember that it was a choice that you made, not like some objective big T truth, right? Yeah. So also relating to loss of perspective is the next thing that Hein warns us about. All right, paranoia. This is where the practitioner thinks that everybody is out to get them. Uh, classic paranoia. Because they are. <laughs> Shh, they'll hear us. <laughs> um, okay, so this is like, you know, maybe people think that they're being cursed or hexed or attacked by other like magicians and other like malevolent forces, right? Yes. If you feel like, you know, if you're feeling paranoid, ask yourself if it might be the result of some specific anxiety or insecurity, right? Like, let's say, for example, that maybe you got like a new, I don't know, a new shirt, but you're not sure that you're like pulling your shirt off. You're not sure that the shirt looks cool on you or whatever. Like, you might feel paranoid that people are like judging you about the shirt. I guess I, I, I have social anxiety. This whole illustration is illustrating that very well. But, um, <laughs> um, you know, you might feel like people are judging you about your shirt, but like chances are they're definitely not. Like most people don't care at all about you or what you're doing, really. Um, we're just not like as special as we sometimes like to think that we are. Um, the point I'm trying to make is that like it's important to try and like figure out what is behind this stuff so that you can like deal with it in a productive way. Um, if you think that like a certain person is like cursing you, maybe it's worth it to take some time to like get a bit of insight into why you think that might be. Like chances are maybe you have like some kind of like uh, problem with this person maybe there's not a magical attack going on but you're feeling like shitty about maybe some interactions that you had with them for whatever reason um i mean that feeling could show up as paranoia about them i don't know so i mean what happened to make you feel that way maybe you're subconsciously thinking that you deserve to be cursed by that person i don't know like uncomfortable questions obviously but worth asking in the long run um, if you're like, if you're feeling like, you know, this idea of like cursing is like causing you a lot of distraction, like 
you could use like some simple like allopatric magic to like ease your mind like make a protection servitor or like sprinkle some salt across your threshold or like any of these other like things that you can do um or make up your own but like if you're like constantly feeling like different people are cursing you and you're constantly like under magical attack like I don't know, I'm not to be an asshole, but, like, maybe you should consider that maybe the common denominator in all these interactions is you, and maybe there's some things that you could uh, work on in terms of, uh, you know, your dealings with other people. Just saying. Please bail me out here, bro. Here, here. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, here's a bucket, um, and I'll paddle away <laughs> with number six, uh, which uh hein referred to as gnostic burnout so if you pour too much energy into anything um without self-care you're gonna burn out uh, it, i mean it could be magical work but it could be anything it could be work in general protesting your government making love making art whatever it is um if you dump every ounce of your being into that and don't take breaks and don't take care of yourself you're gonna reach a point where you are for lack of a better word completely fried yeah, definitely. Self-care is so important. I mean, even outside the realm of magical practice, like, you know, do what you need to do to, like, keep yourself sane as long as you're not hurting yourself or other people, you know? Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> if if hurting yourself doesn't hurt anyone else and it's uh, your form of self-care, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to rain on that parade. Uh, consent is consent as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, you know, if you want to hire a dom or scourge yourself or whatever, that's all you. Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, do your thing. <laughs> uh, so I think that this is something that comes up when we discuss satanic sex in the Levian Satanism on our Patreon, which uh, look for in the near future. We are working on that episode. Uh, by the way, we did mention our Patreon at uh, backslash FG2TO is labeled adult content after all. So That's right. And um, as such, you can't find our Patreon by searching for it. So, uh, you know, if you want to hear the crazy stuff we're talking about there, quantum psychology, uh, magic and pop culture, uh, playing games of 20 questions about occult topics or satanic sex uh you're gonna have to either find the link on our facebook page or type that into our internet browser it'll also be in the description for the episode yeah all right so okay anyway i guess when i was saying like don't hurt yourself i was pretty much thinking about like using like super hard drugs regularly or whatever like but you know what? i'm not gonna tell people what to do i mean i'm just gonna say like i don't know think your decisions through that's all <laughs> is my advice right, you do you right, right. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And like, you know, it, think about how hard drugs might affect your family or friends or whatever. So like you might be hurting someone in that case. But anyway, onward and upwards. Yeah, think it all through. Seventh is uh, not from Phil Hine at all, but I, I want to reiterate uh, Hall's statement about madness. Um, now, I don't I don't have a copy of the book right in front of me. It's um, somewhere in a box, I think, in a garage on the other side of the continent um but anyway the the gist of what i remember him saying is this <laughs> if you put energy toward seeing hearing and otherwise communicating with spirits you will maybe you are maybe you're seeing reflections of your deep inner psyche or maybe you've snapped and totally lost your marbles <laughs> and and to bring it back 
bring back up one of two of my favorite things that that Kevin ever said on the show um, when we were working together. Uh, he said, there's power in a carefully closed mind. Um, so you need to be the master of your castle. The castle being your mind. Duh. Um, so uh, the point is this. You choose what you allow into your head and what you don't. Um, you need to be constantly filtering information, whether it's spiritual, political, societal, general everyday stimuli. It, it should be an active process. Um, if you become passive, there's a whole host of stuff that can go wrong. Psychosis, manipulation, depression, cult leaders, politicians, advertising departments, they all use the same tricks, right? So, so keep this in mind. Also, uh, you know, maybe read 10 steps to creating an enemy and starting a war, then consider how some of these ideas can be twisted for other purposes. Um, but, you know, more on that when we get to deprogramming, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, towards the end of this season or the beginning of three. We'll see. Awesome. All right. So you might be familiar with the convention of spelling the word magic when it refers to stage magic or whatever differently than you would spell it when we're talking about it in the occult sense. Uh, maybe we can extend that convention to our definition or definitions of magical thinking. Uh, maybe we could look at it in this way, like magical thinking spelled with the C is sort of like stage magic or mundane way of defining it. Like the stuff that comes naturally to most of us. Uh, but the other spelling, with the K, maybe it has more to do with the conceptualization that we have some degree of mastery over the thought process. So maybe it mostly comes down to metacognition, you know, um, thinking about like how we're choosing to think about these things. Um, so once you learn how to use magical thinking uh, without the danger of driving yourself nuts... Go ahead and go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Uh, you know, just try to, uh, you know, keep your madness in check, I guess. Um, the truth is, as Lux has said before, we're all a little crazy down here. But it's not like the old days where you could just, like, go be Merlin or the Mad Prophet living in the forest. Nowadays, uh, you know, they, they lock you up for exploring yourself and stretching uh, perceived reality. So, unless you want to live like uh, I'm just exploring myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's another episode. <laughs> Sorry, you're good. Um, yeah. So, unless you want to live like uh, one of Keezy's characters in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, um, you know, you kind of have to keep yourself grounded. Uh, this is where having community comes in. You know, you can join our community, fellow travelers, on Facebook, or there's like many other magical communities out there. Go to talk to people at your local new age shop or whatever uh journaling also comes in here that's really important so you can be reflective on your your thought processes processes you know take a break take a damn vacation i'm going on a cruise when all this shit's over or an island i don't know um you know you can't rush to the finish line can't be done um not without fracturing your consciousness or completely shattering your hold on um our contemporary social constructed reality 
you know, as, as bullshit as that might be, we still have to hang on to it to a degree if we intend on, you know, maintaining our jobs or living situations, stuff like that. So, you know, slow strides. Yeah. And the other thing, too, is like, I mean, you mentioned this idea of like a finish line. I don't think that's a thing. I'm sorry. Like, that's bad news to anybody. But like, I don't think there is a finish line. I think like the more shit that you learn, the stupider you feel. And that's just how it is. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but like, yeah, what you said is true uh, for sure. Uh, I mean, we've already mentioned yeah. the possibility that you might, you know, you don't want to get taken advantage of. Like, don't put blind faith in like gurus or spiritual teachers or whatever. You know, like, I don't know. Except us. We'll never lead you astray. Or will we? Hmm. <laughs> There's also the pitfall of self-delusion. I've heard people call this magitis or something like that, as we mentioned before. Magitis, yeah. yeah. Magitis. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier on. Um, you know, it's in Hall's book. Uh, you know, he was writing in the 20s to 30s. Um, oh, yeah, so that, that term's definitely been around uh, around the block for a while. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I guess bottom line it's important to stay grounded like stuff like meditation exercise contact with others like these are all huge aids in staying grounded yeah we've been beating a dead horse here so <laughs> i know it's worth beating though it is <laughs> um, i came across what i consider to be like some pretty good advice in general on this topic um in a book by ted andrews about like path working in the kabbalah um, he's talking about like what you should do after conducting like certain exercises, but I actually think that this is like pretty helpful general advice. I'm going to go ahead and paraphrase a little bit here, but the main idea is that you should like make sure to take like excellent notes. So, yep, I'm talking about journaling again. Um, super important. Keep track of shit, right? Um, okay, so here's what Andrew suggests that we keep a close eye on. All right, since you've performed the exercise or working or ritual or spell or whatever it is that you're up to, okay, ask yourself these questions. Um, have your emotions been more volatile or charged or intense? Have any new situations arisen? Are they good or bad? How are you relating to the people in your life and how are they relating to you? Are certain things more upsetting? Have new learning opportunities arisen? Have new people come into your life? What are they like? Do you feel that things are being revealed to you? Are they good or bad? So, I mean, like, yeah, all these things are, like, I think in general, like, good things to keep an eye on. Um, I mean, obviously, that being said, do as you will. Yeah, just parm none, yeah. Um. Unless you are defending yourself or someone you love and wrath is justified. Or all that kinky shit you <laughs> mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, you know, that brings me to a point, Luxa. I, th I think, uh, you know, we should do an episode on, on Codes of Honor. There's this whole section in Condensed Chaos by Hill Phil Hine where he talks about this. And, um, you know, I think it may be worthwhile to cover. Uh, as Kevin once said in one of our episodes, uh, you can't expect the universe or any of its members to take you seriously if you, uh, you know, can't keep your own word. 
whatever that may be. And I feel like uh, these kinds of codes are like a big part of magical thinking on a more specific level that we can really cover in, um, you know, this more broad episode. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know this is something that we've been thinking about and talking about lately. And I think, yeah, we should definitely go into that. Like, just do it next. So look out for that coming up soon, everyone. Yeah. Um. Yeah, let's definitely do that. All right. Okay, so here are some types of magical thinking that are pretty important from a chaos magic perspective. All right, so let's actually like get into some tech now that we're however many Yay. hours of this episode. <laughs> Thank you for sticking around. Right? Did we just do like two hours of like scolding people and telling them not to be full of themselves? You know what? It's all a blur, bro. I have no idea what just happened. But pushing forward. <laughs> um, okay, so the idea of like learning to hold opposing views simultaneously, or like at least making a concerted effort to do this, can be like a pretty helpful exercise to practice regularly. Uh, this is one of my favorite things. Uh, also, you know, one of my favorite techniques for this is like belief and skepticism, right? Like, yeah, it's probably all bullshit. It's also probably all true. I mean, obviously it fucking works, but it's also bullshit. It's ridiculous. I mean, all those things are all true all the time or none of them are true. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Who cares? Uh, just accept it. <laughs> uh, some other classic uh, magically powerful opposites are like comedy, tragedy, sex and death. Um, a lot of other ones. Yeah, this kind of thing is uh, why you'll often find me having different beliefs or perspectives from day to day. It's um, also why I'm willing to embrace the absolute absurdity of the so-called fluffy bunny approach to magic. (laughs) Fluffy, fluffy bunnies. Yeah, so warm and cuddly. Anyway, uh, being able to change your attitudes at will or hold contradictory attitudes simultaneously is not just like a skill to forward your magical thinking, but also... Uh, like a coping mechanism uh, or or form of self-care. When you can sort of change your beliefs or attitudes at will, you can uh, begin to shut off certain experiences uh, when everything just starts to spiral out. You know, don't follow that tool song, though. Don't keep going. Um, If you're spiraling out, chill out. Take a break. Play with a different set of views for a while. Or don't. You know, that's just my advice. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Um, Use what you got, too, right? Um. Okay, so using emotional energy or, like, heightened emotional states is also pretty important, Um, at least in my experience. uh, You can use them when they naturally arise, um, if you're able to, like, be aware of it in the moment. Or you can stir up emotions to use for, like, a specific working by relying on your memory or your thoughts or, like, you know, invoke that emotional state. We've talked about in the past like are obviously like the power of laughter as a banishing ritual i mean both carol and hein discuss this in their work uh, and others do too it can be incredibly useful not just for banishing in the spiritual sense but in like casting out thoughts or emotions or i guess even like people or you know the idea of them like that you know <laughs> you know people that are annoying you uh seriously though someone like hitting on you and they won't go away or something like that like um you could pretend to be a crazy person like nobody wants to fuck with crazy it's too unpredictable 
Hector, have you tried this technique? Because <laughs> you did write this paragraph. I'm so curious about if this has happened to you. Uh, <laughs> no, not me personally, but uh, it's been relayed to me by uh, several female friends um, who had sketchy situations at night and were just like, uh, I'm just going to pretend to be like a crazy like street person. And it, I guess it works. Like People yeah. go away. So. I'm sure it does as quite an indictment of our society but pushing forward <laughs> yeah um anyway so like different emotional states can be useful for different things right um you know states of pure joy are great for constructive magic feelings of love are good for healing and protection and obviously love magic um being aroused is obviously good for sex magic sadness is also used for uh for healing or protection magic um if you're sad that you know, someone you care for is sick or hurt or threatened. In the Satanic Bible, LeVay discusses using uh, sadness and anger for Satanic magic. The use of anger was uh, particularly directed towards um, what people tend to call black magic, right? Like cursing or hexing, things like that. And definitely LeVay did not come up with this. Yeah, no, I think I agree um, that in general, like the different emotional states being useful for different things. But I do want to point out that like in my experience, like at least for me there's like a little bit of complexity to this issue like some emotions are easier to access than others for like different people i'm pretty sure um i feel like it might be good to keep in mind that you can definitely do things with whatever strong emotion you have so long as you contextualize it properly for yourself um i think we had talked about anger not being good for like healing magic in the past but I think I might actually like want to revise my position on that because I think that like you could get so mad about the thing that's like hurting the person that you're trying to heal or like trying to help heal or whatever, like that you could use it in that way, right? Like it's just, it all, it's all about context, right? Like I haven't tried it myself. I mean, as we said earlier, like healing magic is all about psychologically bolstering people and which is very important anyway yeah honestly this is actually like using emotion and magic is not something I, I particularly do quite often but you know we're talking about it because it's something a lot of other people do so I, you know i think it's important to discuss uh the use of heightened emotional states to do magic has really been around i mean as far as we can tell as long as people have been doing magic it's um also one of the reasons why it's easier at least for uh the novice, uh, I guess, novice to, to moderately experienced energy worker to do magic for themselves, opposed to casting spells for other people, because um, especially like people you don't know or care about, right? Because, um, you know, raising power to do work for someone else who you don't have an emotional link to is incredibly difficult. And uh, if you do not already have like many years of experience, you, you pretty much can't do it. But um, selfishly doing magic is incredibly easy. Yeah, no, definitely. So another thing that magical thinking could be used for, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but like creating and sustaining your servitors. So when you make one of these things, your thoughts are literally its food. We've talked about this before. Um, so if you're curious to learn more about that, check out our episode on the topic, uh, Do My Bidding. So, okay, after you've made your servitor, you want to make sure to think about it regularly in order to keep it active. It's a good idea to attribute any actions, um, you know, the sort of, like, the domain that you've made the servitor in. You want to attribute any, like, things that happen to it. 
Um, for example, let's say that you made a servitor to help you improve your garden. Uh, when you encounter success or failure in your garden, you would want to attribute that to the servitor. Yeah, and if you're going to create a magical gardener, um, might I suggest carving or painting its sigil on like a stone or tile, excuse me, or other um, emblem um, that can live and be displayed prominently in its place of work. This is beneficial to both uh it and you really um, looking at it reminds you that the servitor is um, there and thus feeds it, brings your attention to it. Right. Um, but it also acts as a, a physical anchor for the servitor to sort of buzz around. You know, furthermore, I, I find that having a physical anchor is useful. If the little bugger gets out of control, you can just kill it off. Um, but Hey, once again, uh, we discuss all of that in Season 2, Episode 4, so go check that out uh, for a refresher or if for some reason you missed it. Yeah, definitely. And I like the idea of, you know, making like a tile or something like that to put in the garden. You can make like a little like scarecrow or statue or something. Like there's basically like an infinite number of ways that you could use all this magical thinking stuff. Um, so... With that in mind, we're going to go ahead and dive into just a few examples of stuff from our own practices. Yes. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, if we don't have any experience with this, this is another situation where we need to cancel the show immediately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've definitely used magical thinking. I use it all the time. It's uh, something I do sort of on a daily basis even really without thinking about it i think in general just imagination is magical thinking and like thinking through uh scenarios and things like that i definitely try and achieve uh gnosis for magical work um through a very a variety of methods um meditation is one but you know a good little dose of marijuana is always helpful and sometimes uh you know like a little drink beforehand not too much because you don't want to like deaden everything but just like just enough to kind of loosen you up helps you kind of like get in a free flow kind of state which really works for me uh, especially with that little little kick at thc there try to meditate fairly regularly i also uh any kind of visualization is is magical thinking right you're using visualization and that's like um, part of spell work, right? To visualize the thing happening or the energy going somewhere or something taking place. So I try and practice visualization pretty regularly. Um, I do that ball of light meditation that we've talked about several times on the show. I do that almost every night to relax, like before passing out. Um, I also do it before trying to go to my astral temple, um, which is another big visualization task um that i do pretty regularly and then you can go do all kinds of crazy stuff from there yeah those are the things that come to mind yeah no definitely like i, I feel like i definitely do a lot of those things too meditation is a huge part of the practice for many of us um i guess in addition to what you said i think i'm gonna share a specific piece of tech that i came up with <laughs> okay so um okay this is all about learning about chaos from your cat um or your fluffy bunny sure yeah whatever you have around i have both so this actually <laughs> it actually sounds a lot less strange to me now that like everybody's been in voluntary quarantine for the past like months and months um 
it sounds a lot less strange than it did when I made it more than a year ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like as a way to introduce more randomness into my day, I decided that I would take some cues from my cats because they are chock full of chaos, right? Chock full of it. Hell yeah. <laughs> So the idea struck me when I noticed that one of them had like kind of figured out how to open one of the drawers of my dresser and they'd like done some excavation. I'm standing there and like there's all these clothes on the floor and and at my feet is this t-shirt that I really hadn't worn or even like seen in gosh ages. Uh, And so I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to wear this today. You know, like it's a sign building on that for like the next couple hours. I decided to follow the cats around the house, like treating each one of their actions as though it was meant to communicate something very important to me. Right. Like I actually, now that I'm saying this, I think that you could technically consider this a form of divination catamancy, perhaps. I don't know. (laughs) I learned many important esoteric truths that day. Okay, so aside from that (laughs) nonsense, um, ask yourself questions that you think you already know the answers to. Just do that. Yeah, that's a a good a good thing to do. We should come back to that in our um, uh, codes of honor episode too. I think that's a a good way to start breaking down sort of um, what we think and believe and feel and things like that. Yeah. Um. Okay, so another thing that came up for us was like, all right, so we were about to conduct a ritual, and as one does, you know, we pulled some tarot cards to, you know, see what was going on. And one of the things that we noticed was that uh, the card that we pulled had a very, like, similar imagery uh, to something related to a project that we've been working on, which is the construction of an astral temple. Um, And so we're super excited about that because we are working on like a little guided meditation in the not too distant future. We're hoping it will be available so that um, we can tour the space that we've been creating. So definitely keep an eye out for that. So yeah. Yeah. um, That ought to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm still trying to think of like a variety of different ways that we can get other people kind of involved in it. And I I think that'll be kind of cool. Kind of collaborative uh, tech. Definitely. Yeah seems like a really fun project i'm really excited to share it with people um but in the meantime uh homework yeah all right so what do you what do you got for us yeah um chances are if you've listened to the show up until this point you're already practicing magical thinking right even if you know you're an armchair occultist as they say but what we want you to do is take more notes on the things around you even if they're just mental notes. Um, When do the stars align, so to speak? What synchronicities seem to happen? And when is this the result of coincidence versus, uh, you know, something you asked for or something you've been needing? Pay attention to this. It's important uh, to stay grounded, right? Uh, Some people say you should never second guess yourself. Um, I think you should second, third, and fourth guess yourself, maybe fifth guess yourself too it's all part of the process, right? Breaking down and building up new layers of yourself, analyzing everything, but simultaneously know when to knock that off. Sometimes we overthink things too much. The right answer is the easiest one. It's right in front of us. 
Um, I know this is contradictory information, but it's also some lowercase t truth. So really think about it. Yeah, no, everything that you say is definitely lowercase t truth, which as we're learning is really the only kind of truth there is. Anyway, um, I think it's definitely a really good point. I feel like it's helpful to try to embrace the uncertainty, like even though it can be pretty uncomfortable. When synchronicities occur, trust your instinct, follow your gut or whatever, but also don't forget to use your head. Like always save a little bit of space for like what if. I mean, unless you're in the process of doing a working, in that case, like full speed ahead. But as I say, but other than that, like keep track of your magical thinking, right? Take good notes. Ask yourself, like, do you need more or less of it in your life? You know? Yeah, totally. I appreciate you saying everything I say is uh, lowercase t truth. It's not. Sometimes I'm totally full of shit. <laughs> well, I mean, the best we can hope for is lowercase t truth. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All right. Hey, guess everyone, uh, we're excited. We're now just going to like put them in the description of the episode um, because we feel like what's the point of reading them out loud unless you're sitting, uh, you know, somewhere with a pad of paper and a pen taking notes yeah. on these episodes. And it's a lot. I mean, um, it's that's a lot, not so. really helpful. That's a lot. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to see our references, you can just check the description for that. And please do. Okay. So if you have had something you know, interesting happening to you, some interesting experiences with magical thinking, please let us know at fool's guide to the call at gmail.com. That is the number two. Yeah. Also, please like us and follow us on Facebook and join our community page off our main page called fellow travelers. And you can also find us on Insta at fool's guide one word. Um, and if you want to hear us talk about other crazy stuff uh, like a call in pop culture or a book club discussing like quantum psychology by Robert Anton Wilson, you know, consider checking out our Patreon uh, at patreon.com backslash FG2TO. And uh, yeah, getting pretty wild over there. So check it out if you want. Yeah, totally. Gosh, I mean, anything else? Should we close this thing up here? No, let's, yeah, let's, let's put a circle around it and tie it in a bow and get out of here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So as we touched on it before, magical thinking can be used in both very positive and very negative ways. When it comes to putting in effort over the long term, it can be used to keep you motivated and focused on your goal or the thing that you're fighting for. It can boost your morale or degrade it. There are a lot of examples from history about like military leaders or others like seeing like a positive or negative omen, which has had like a great impact on the outcome of like a battle. So, I mean, with this kind of stuff in mind, we'd like to give a few tidbits and ideas about how one might use magical thinking to like keep one's spirits high. Yeah. Good luck rituals and and wishes are a great way to keep your morale up. You know, sometimes all we need is a, a little hope and uh, positive thoughts. Though, um, obviously, we um, don't want you to put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Actually, you know, if we want to reach a larger international audience, we should stop using colloquialisms. Anyway, there are lots of things people do that are positive ways of interacting with magical thinking. For instance, uh, wishing on a star or making a wish at 11-11. When I was a kid, I would go camping a lot as a scout and with my family in general. Um, There's a common phrase people would say, um, if the smoke started blowing in your face, I don't like dead rabbits, and the smoke was supposed to go away. 
Um, I've also heard people say it as uh, I hate white rabbits, but come on, we love bunnies here. Fluffy, fluffy bunnies. Yeah. Uh, Another one I particularly enjoy comes from the UK where people apparently say rabbit, rabbit when they wake up on the uh, morning of the first day of the month. Um, This is thought to give you good luck throughout the rest of the month. And, you know, I'll just throw out there that having an English accent automatically makes you like five times sexier. I agree. I think it's probably because it tends to make one sound five times smarter. (laughs) And I love the rabbit rabbit idea. I think I'm going to start doing this. Yeah, it's at any rate, it's kind of fun. Um, Very fun. And a a good like mental exercise, you know, and there's so many other things from around the world. Uh, So, you know, if you have like a good luck ritual or a good luck charm thing that you like or want to share any kind of fun little story with us you know please please drop us a line we love to hear from you all or just you know ask us questions or whatever you know whatever yeah definitely we would love to hear about whatever you are doing to keep your morale up so don't hesitate to drop us a line absolutely and uh yeah until next time everyone cheers yeah until next time thank you so much for listening to fool's guide to the occult i hope everybody has an excellent day slash night slash whenever